All right, we're back. We noted on last week's program that veteran Democratic Representative Dennis Kucinich was defeated by Representative Marcy Kaptur in Ohio. Apparently, Republicans in Ohio redistricted Kucinich's district to make it difficult for him to, uh, to win. And he didn't. I want to thank GA for a piece he forwarded us, uh, an article by Glenn Greenwald about Dennis Kucinich and his, quote, wackiness, unquote. Noted Greenwald, establishment Democrats have long viewed Dennis Kucinich with a mixture of scorn, mockery, and condescension. True to form, the establishment liberal journal, American Prospect, gave Kucinich a little kick on the way out, comparing his political views to the 1960s musical Hair, deriding him as a favorite among lefty college kids and Birkenstock wearers around the country, and pronouncing him among the wackiest members of Congress. Yes, said Greenwald, I said the American Prospect, not the Weekly Standard. Noted Greenwald, the Prospect article also praises as great a rather snide and derisive Washington Post piece, which purports to, quote, highlight some of the particularly bizarre facts about Kucinich. Among those is the fact that he introduced impeachment articles against former President George W. Bush and former Vice President Cheney for their roles in the Iraq War. Notes Greenwald, what a weirdo and loser. After describing more attacks on Kucinich by Democrats, Greenwald said, let's recap the state of mental health in establishment Democratic circles. The president, who claims and exercises the power to target American citizens for execution by CIA in total secrecy and with no charges, as well as those who dutifully follow him, are sane, sober, and serious, meriting great respect. By contrast, one of the very few members of Congress who stands up and vehemently objects to this most radical power, the idea that the United States has the ability to summarily execute a U.S. citizen ought to send chills racing up and down the spines of every person of conscience, that's a quote from Kucinich, is a total whack job, meriting patronizing mockery. Noted Greenwald, Kucinich's animating belief was that both political parties often embraced extremist, destructive policies due to a combination of cowardice and malignant views. He usually resided outside of the bipartisan mainstream. He was often right when the sober centrists of the party leaders were dreadfully wrong on Iraq, on the extremism of the Bush assault on the Constitution and rule of law, on America's self-destructive and immoral blind spot for Israel, on the subservience of Wall Street to a corporate and Wall Street agenda. He was one of a tiny handful of people willing to bravely challenge those orthodoxies and the imperatives of lobbyist rule. It's not his fault that most of his colleagues in the broader political class clung to those destructive pieties and cowardly served those who own and control Washington. Well, we're pleased to have had a chance to meet Dennis Kucinich not once but twice for this program. He did agree to come on this show and, and did so. That interview can be found in our archives at radioparallax.com. We think Congress could use people like Dennis Kucinich, and we hope that um, he'll be back one day. I hasten to add that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. We said at the top of the show, we make it by with a little bit of help from our friends, and one of our friends coming back to talk to us now would be our pal Nancy Yamada. Welcome back, Nancy. Thanks, Doug. Good to be back. It's a two-parter. We know you went to the Occupy Sacramento event and would like a little uh, feedback on what took place. What did take place? 
Thanks for plugging that uh, before the events. I mean, this started out with a rally March 1st and, and uh, March from UC Berkeley to the Capitol. And on March 5th, there was a rally of about 10,000, maybe more students from all over the state coming to the Capitol, uh, having a demonstration. I wasn't part of the march, but I did show up for their noon rally. And there was uh, probably 10,000 people there, I'd say. Wow. Kids of all ages, a lot of uh, college students, various groups supporting students in education. I understand uh, many of the students also went in to speak to legislators. I know when I showed up to the rally, uh, Gavin Newsom was addressing the students. Hmm. It was quite impressive. It's the largest rally I've seen there for a while. It was spilling out onto the streets. You told me that uh, there were some pretty shocking numbers about what uh, what things are costing these days compared to when we were students not that long ago. M- multiples of uh, tuition are kind of hair-raising. It's outrageous. I had actually seen a sign about the increases in tuition, and, and I was just amazed, and I went online to look it up. I was a student of San Francisco State University, and I went to UC Hastings, so I was just amazed by the well, What was the ratio, like for, say, San Francisco State? San Francisco State. I looked it then up. Then versus now. Then versus now. And, and yes, I like to think it wasn't that <laughs> long ago either, but it's 54 times Yow. what I paid when I was going to undergraduate school. Holy mackerel. I'm not, yeah, not 54%. It's 54 times. That's crazy. But even worse, uh, even for graduate school, I went to uh, UC Hastings, mm-hmm. and that is 25 times what I paid. <laughs> and I, I remember seeing something uh, recently in Huffington Post saying that factoring in housing and et cetera and all the student fees, that it's actually costing more to go to California UCs than it is to go to Harvard. Well, this issue, I think, has, uh, has gotten some legs here, has gotten some traction, and I think it's not going to go away. Um... So we'll have to see what happens. Did you, did you get any sense that there was any progress made uh, in, in getting people's attention uh, in the Capitol? Definitely. This is important. And uh, there were various students groups out there, and I think I've seen several studies. I've seen studies out of um, UC Berkeley, but also less biased studies that, saying that, that says that the investment that you put into ed- education it's, it is basically an investment because for every dollar that's invested by the state... This figure was for the CSUs, um, that the return is $5.43 in economic impact. And I think it's time to start investing in education and our kids' futures instead of prisons and stadiums. Good point. I guess there's that old saying, if you think education is expensive, consider the cost of ignorance. (laughs) Well, um... Well, we'll be following that story. Hopefully you can come back and we can see how this is going to evolve over the next few months because I think people, uh, you know, with the Occupy movement are um, entrenched. They're not going to go away. Right. And there are several bills going through the legislature and several that are trying to qualify for the ballot uh, in regard to funding education, whether it's taxing the millionaires or um, changing property taxes. And that'd be interesting to to find, uh, and also the state budget and the mayor revised to see if there's any additional funding for education. Well, good. We will continue to follow that story. I don't know if you caught this one, Nancy, but uh, just over the, the berm here in Sacramento, not far from where uh, where you live and even closer to where I live, 
the city went out and cut down uh, trees to, to roust out a homeless encampment, which is a significant problem in the neighborhood with crime and the like. But uh, they decided they're going to replant the trees because I guess the city utility people failed to tell anyone else about this. They're going to spend $200,000 to replant trees. So uh, it's very reassuring to see how on the ball our local politicians are. And on that topic, let's return to something you talked about about a month ago, our airport, uh, Sacramento International. You were disapproving of the changes, as was was I. We're going to do something on it every week, and um, you now have an update. So let, let's, let's delve into that. You went back to fly again somewhere and have a new story for us. Yes. Uh, this time, for once, I was an hour early to the airport, so I thought, mm-hmm. oh, save my employer a few bucks and um, go park in long-term parking. Mm-hmm. Also, I, for some reason, and I didn't plan this out, so maybe this was my mistake, I thought, oh, great, I'd take the shuttle, and it dropped me off right in front of the terminal. But it doesn't? Well, it drops you off into, uh, in front of the terminal, but you still have to go through that airport hell. I'm I'm not recommending this to anybody. Here I was. I almost missed my flight, literally. (laughs) You were an hour early. I showed up to the uh, airport an hour early. Uh, Shuttles ran every 15 minutes, which I think before they used to run every 5 or 10, but I understand probably with cutbacks. And so uh, just missed the shuttle, of course. Mm-hmm. So waited 15 minutes. So here I am, you know, 45 minutes. And then, of course, it has to go through and pick up everybody. And mm-hmm. it's like 25 minutes now before my flight's to leave. I am I know other people on the flight, so I'm texting them, telling them, don't give my seat away, you know. And I'm getting texted back. It's overbooked. It's oversold. Get here quick. It's like, hurry. It's like, yeah, what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> you know, here wow. I am running through wow. the airport. You went through the people mover again, up the escalator, through the security. It took even longer because instead of taking the bridge from the parking lot, you're, they drop you off downstairs. You have to go back up the escalator. You have to go to the people mover. Yeah, someone tried to tell us that it was actually faster, but I don't see how that can possibly be. There is no way it's faster. Okay. My friend is texting me, where are you? Where are you? It's like, oh, I'm at the <laughs> terminal. Have you gotten through security yet? No, no, not yet. And I'm running and at security, I hear my name being paged and I'm waving and saying, that's me, that's me. And the TSA agent just waves back and says, we're hurrying. And, and they were pretty quick. I had to run. By the time I got there, all the station agents and flight personnel knew me by name. <laughs> and even the stewardess saying when I sat down, glad you made it, Nancy. <laughs> but I do have a disagreement on the way back. And I did overhear people saying, this is a beautiful airport. But of course, they just landed and never seen it and hadn't dealt with anything. Right. <laughs> and I remember you were complaining about the signage. And I noticed that they put up huge signs. They weren't permanent signs. They were just at the you know, foot of the escalator. Butcher paper. <laughs> no, a little nicer than butcher paper. I think it, they were professionally done, but uh-huh. with directional signs. So that was good. Um, I think that they're, they may be listening to you, Doug. Let's hope so. The, the other thing, though, I wanted to um, discuss with you or let your listeners know is I, I have to disagree with you again on the rabbit. I think I get it now. Oh, <laughs> you like the rabbit. <laughs> I'm getting to like the rabbit. Okay. Maybe it's just growing on me. It's just humongous, like almost from floor to ceiling of this huge airport. Well, it covers two, two floors. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so I've never seen the bottom of the rabbit. Have you seen, I mean, have you gone to the bottom what it is? I'm not, not carefully inspected the rabbit, no. <laughs> 
Well, I get it now. At the bottom, there's like this big granite-looking sculpture that's a suitcase with like a hole in the middle, kind of like a vortex, so the rabbit looks like he's jumping into it, like, you know, down the rabbit hole. <laughs> and this is one you over? <laughs> Doug, you're looking at me like I'm nuts. Okay, and then I'm uh, frankly still not getting it. So it's a giant <laughs> rabbit hole, much like the funds, the billion dollars that the, yeah. that the airport itself represents, going know, down the rabbit hole. I guess you could put it that way, but it, it puts it into context. When wait, she, wait, wait! What context? <laughs> into travel. You know, it's it's that they they related the bunny to travel. All right, you're not making that. You, you don't see this. <laughs> okay. You're not getting the segue in my mind. I'm not. I, no. <laughs> I'm glad you made the connection, but no, I, I'm I'm still puzzled. Well, at any rate, we will continue to uh, talk about the airport. I think, I don't know, every week we'll talk about it for a while. Because, well, I, I just think it's our duty to talk about this fiasco. And by the way, as a public service message to listeners, we should point out there are still good airports in the Bay Area. Occupy Sacramento, good. Airport, bad. I think that pretty much summarizes our chat here. Uh, come back and talk about things as they develop here, Nancy, because I know things are going to. Okay, thanks, Doug. Until next time. All right. Uh, from the letters to the editor section, we have something written to the Sacramento Bee a few days back, which I'll quote from. Regarding arena deal passes easily, as the director and CEO of the Sacramento Zoo, and knowing what it feels like to be an endangered species wondering if you will survive. I can relate to the struggle to keep the kings in Sacramento. Congratulations to Mayor Kevin Johnson and the other leaders in our community who fought to make this happen. I hope the Sacramento Zoo will be around for future generations to enjoy. Signed by Mary Healy, Sacramento. Well, Ms. Healy, uh, we certainly hope so too. We hope the city has enough money to fund both an arena for billionaires and the zoo. But if in the future this municipality has to make a choice between uh, a development worth hundreds of millions of dollars and a collection of animals out in Land Park, who do you think is going to win? Regarding this uh, battle for uh, the arena, Jonathan Mendick had an interesting piece in the Sacramento News and Review. Starts off by saying, if you build it, they will come. But for Stockton, not as many came as expected. And now a bankruptcy judge might come too. Stockton, a city that built a brand new arena back in 2005, now can't pay its debt and limps toward bankruptcy. Sacramento, posed to spend $256 million of city money on a new arena, might want to consider the experience of its neighbor 50 miles south. According to Stockton City Councilwoman Susan Eggman, we have issues with gangs and drugs and less tools to fight them. So, yeah, some would say rather than build that arena... That was before I was on the council. They could have really invested that money in neighborhoods, and we may have been better able to weather this storm. Last Tuesday, the Stockton City Council voted to undergo mediation to avoid bankruptcy. If the city is able to work with unions, creditors, and bondholders to restructure its debt, it will hopefully avoid that fate. If not, it will be the nation's largest city, population nearly 300,000, to file Chapter 9. Then, a bankruptcy judge will intervene, determining which bills get paid. Building the Stockton Arena, which costs $69 million, 
more if you include infrastructure, was a contributing factor to the city's current problems, said Eggman. We want to thank the many people, including Nancy, who sent us this uh, piece from Freakonomics, analyzing the Sacramento Arena deal. Noted the piece. This week, the Sacramento City Council approved a plan to finance a new home for the Kings in Sacramento. The price tag, though, is pretty steep. The arena will cost $391 million, and $255 million will be coming from the city. Opponents of this plan, and there were just two in the nine-member council, noted that sports arenas don't provide much economic benefit. Furthermore, they questioned why public money should be given to a private business. As Councilwoman Sandy Sheedy, who voted no, observed, this city is on the verge of insolvency. As far as I know, we still technically qualify for bankruptcy under federal law. Proponents of the plan argue that it will create jobs and economic benefits. And this was the argument that apparently persuaded the majority. So, said the Freakonomics folks, we have two perspectives and one question. Do sports generate jobs and economic growth? This is a question that's been addressed numerous times by economists. And these studies, summarized by economists Rob Bodd and Victor Matheson, tend to reveal two answers. When the study is completed by paid consultants prior to the public money being spent, the benefits from sports are numerous and large. However, when independent researchers who are not paid by professional sports teams or leagues look for these benefits after the fact, evidence of more jobs and economic growth are hard to find. Bade and Matheson offer three reasons the impact suggested by proponents of sports failed to appear. First, the substitution effect. If the Kings didn't play in Sacramento, the people in town would simply spend the portion of their entertainment budget on, currently dedicated to the Kings on something else, like dining out. Two, the crowding out effect. Sporting events attract crowds. When people know that crowds are going to appear, those who are not attending the sporting event tend to avoid the general area. And three, leakages. They note the Kings do employ very high-priced labor. But many of these players don't live in Sacramento. This means the income earned by these players doesn't stay in the Sacramento economy. They note, given these three effects, the empirical evidence suggests quite strongly that sports do not create many jobs or generate much economic growth. And such evidence has proven to be quite persuasive. And a further question we would ask of you, dear listener, is would you trust the same people who cut down trees and then spent $200,000 to plant trees back in the same spot? Are these the same kind of folks you want to trust on a $300 million deal for a downtown arena? And of course, our, our same local county supervisors and city council persons are the ones that gave us the new international airport. We've seen how well that turned out. I think we need a short break, so let's take one. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Got some more, so don't go away. 